This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Radio Astronomy's Guide to the Best Things to See in the Northern Hemisphere's Night Sky in September 2021. I'm news editor Ezzie Pearson and I'm joined on the podcast today by reviews editor Paul Manny. He's going to be telling us the best sites to catch this month. So, Paul, what are your recommendations for September 2021? Well, we've got a good month. So, um, the thing about September is that we really start getting back into the dark skies and yay! Mm. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a great sunbather, you understand, sort of thing. So uh, give, give me the night skies anytime. So, uh, you know, now we're back to September. It's great. And we, we kick off, actually, with an unusual pair of events because it's not often you get an occultation of two different stars, one after the other, uh, on, on successive mornings. Um, and it just so happens that, you know, the path of the moon going around us um, is tilted to the ecliptic. And it goes through Gemini. And as it happens, there's quite a few decent stars that have the potential to be occulted. And that's what happens this time. So we've got Epsilon Geminorum on September the 2nd. Now, these are, I mean, I have to say, you have to get up for these, Ezzy. No, I, I know, I know, I know. I mean, it's set an alarm and whatnot, but, you know, these are early morning ones. So I'll just, it's easier for me just to stay up because if I don't, if I go to bed, <laughs> I'm doomed. You know, that's it. I'll, I'll, I'll hit the alarm and go back to sleep, sort of thing. So I have to stay up. <laughs> 
the the astronomer's conundrum to stay up all night or to get up early. <laughs> exactly, sort of thing. I mean, the the choices we have to make. Oh, I mean, it's terrible, isn't it? So uh, yeah, so but this is worth getting up for because uh, you know, I mean, it's a bright star for a start, and so you've got. It's actually called Mibsuta, and uh, you know, it takes about an hour or so. And I always like to say, look, start before it. Uh, so you really have to be looking in the morning sky. I'd start at about one a.m. It's always best to get familiar mm. with the area. Although I have to say, if you have difficulty finding the moon, <laughs> then you might need to take up a new hobby. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I've always thought sort of thing. If any event involved with the moon, if you can't find the moon, yes, you need to do something else or it's probably completely overcast. So uh, I always like to give myself plenty of time before these events because anything could go wrong. You know what it's like with equipment sort of thing. And um, you might see this with binoculars now the thing about binoculars is that the disappearances on the daylight side are for both events naturally for both mornings so this is september the second with mitsuta uh and so look around about 1 a.m and, and keep dancing at uh mitsuta and the moon and you'll see the moon creeping closer i love these because it shows the solar system in motion doesn't it you know you, you mm. really you realize that you know things actually do move we're so used to the night sky not appearing to move that much or change that when you see the moon creeping up to this star you feel look out star there's a moon behind you well that's actually going to be in front because then it passes over the star so the disappearance being on the bright side is interesting because it's harder to see the exact moment when it goes pop it's gone sort of thing. Mm. Whereas if it's on the night side, sort of thing, the dark terminator, it's a lot easier. Um, so you'd think the reappearance just over an hour or so later would be easy because it's on the dark side, it all suddenly appear. Well, the trouble is you have to really work out where it is on the limb because it might catch it. You might be looking at the wrong part of the limb of the moon sort of thing. Of course, it's dark. So it's very difficult to see, but you hopefully there might be a little bit of earth shine there by now because this is mm -hmm. a thick waning crescent moon so you know it's one of those things that there might be enough of a glow there for you to work out roughly where it's going to appear and then keep you guys gaze looking at this and uh, time it because these timings are, are still the fascinating because it gives you an idea of the clockwork mechanism of the solar system so that's on the 2nd of september then the next morning we're treated to another one um kappa uh, Geminorum is actually a colted. And so this one's a bit late to see. So I've, I've got to make the decision. Do I now set the alarm? Because it's a, it start looking about 3.30 in the morning. And again, it's about mm. an hour. Um, these vary slightly. So again, depending on where you are in the UK, I'd add plus or minus 10 minutes to the time sort of thing, just to make sure. And um, so you're looking from about 3.30 to about 4.40, 4.45 in the morning. But, uh, you know, the skies are still relatively dark there so that's two occultations to kick us off with and it's not often i say you get two occultations on successive mornings like this so uh, and i say i like watching them because they are the, the clockwork mechanism of the solar system the solar system in action itself now not content with that if we if we like i mean i'm sticking with the early morning even though you know i know how hard it is to get up for this Some, sometimes <laughs> the night sky just wants you to not go to sleep exactly um, it, it just it just really doesn't <laughs> like your sleep schedule exactly it's conspiring against us isn't it ezzy um but the next morning september the 4th it's not an occultation but in actual fact the moon will be directly above and it's a really thin crescent moon by now and it's uh, about 4 a.m look at the moon and 
below it will be the star cluster, the beehive cluster, Messier 44, mm. uh, Precipi, as it's known. So uh, that's a, a, an extra bonus sort of thing. So if you've got used to getting up on the first two mornings, then, then you should be easy to get up on the next one, says he going to <laughs> fast asleep. <laughs> if your sleep schedule's already ruined, you might as well stay up another night. Exactly. You know, I have to make, if I do an all-nighter now, it does get to me. I think it's my age. We won't go into that anymore about my age. But, you know, I'm beginning to realise why it's often easier to set an alarm now because staying up all night is not so much fun now. I used to enjoy them sort of thing. But, uh, and of course, in the in the summer skies, if you stay up all night, it's actually a short night, so it's not it doesn't feel like such an ordeal. But as we hit September, of course, we're heading towards the equinox, which is on the twenty second this year, and so you know, equal day, equal night, and we'll have longer nights. So you know, mm. half the night sort of thing will be dark, so uh, a lot longer now to stay up sort of thing. So yeah, I think I might set an alarm for the uh, September the fourth beehive and moon uh, conjunction, uh, as we see here. But let's let's get back to the evening sky because, you know, I mean, I have to say the vast majority of people will tend to look in the evening sky and we just can't get rid of it. I mean, Venus mm. is still lingering there. It's a quirk of its orbit and the tilt of its orbit and the angle of the ecliptic. And Venus just lingers in the twilight and it's been there months and it's still going to be there for quite a few more months yet. So you need to be looking around about, so say, about 30 to 40 minutes easily after sunset so that the sky is getting at least, at least reasonably dark. And then you'll spot... Venus in the west-southwest sort of thing, quite low down. But don't leave it too long because, of course, it, it sets. So you'll lose it. But the thing about this is that, in actual fact, on the 5th, so we've got a run of, uh, this is on the evening of the 5th sort of thing, so don't get up in the morning for this. <laughs> Venus isn't in the morning, it's in the evening twilight now. But on the 5th, it's actually above Spica or Spicer. It depends on how you want to pronounce it. But the thing about this is that that's Alpha Virginis. It's probably your last chance to see Spicer actually at this time of the year. After that, it'll be lost. It'll be too close to the glare of the sun. So, you know, you've got Venus as a brilliant guide, you know, and the, the mm. bright evening star sort of thing, which is not a star, of course, a planet, and it's directly above Spicer. Now, give it a few more days because as it happens, we get the crescent moon back into the evening sky. And it's always, I mean, you try looking around about the 7th or 8th, see if you can see a really, really, really slim crescent moon. Because the thing about this is that it's a nice, it's, it's, a, it's very ephemeral when it's a really thin crescent. But then on the 9th and 10th, it's either side and above Venus. So, you know, you've got a nice sort of pair in there. But of course, on the 9th, it's also quite reasonably close to Spicer. So that might be a very, very, very last chance to see Spicer as well. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you'll see Venus. But again, you'll be wanting to be looking at about the same sort of time. So Venus will have the moon, crescent moon, to its right on the 9th and to its upper left on the 10th. And of course, on the 10th, the crescent will be a bit thicker uh, because the moon is gradually building up its phase sort of thing. We're seeing more and more of the illuminated side. 
So at least that's in a decent time, isn't it? Sort of thing for us to actually observe. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, which actually does depend on your your own local uh, circumstances because actually it's very difficult for me because I've got lots of buildings, so I'd have to travel out, find somewhere in the Lincolnshire Wold to actually observe it. So I've got a nice decent flat. I have got a little site a couple of miles away, so I can go to. So that's not too bad. Yes, you, you do want to make sure that you've got a nice clear view of the horizon if you're going to be trying to observe those at home. You can almost guarantee there's a house or a, or a tree <laughs> in the way, otherwise sort of thing. So uh, worth yes. looking. And work, I say west-southwest is roughly your direction you want to be looking for it sort of thing. So uh, that's the key. Now, the other thing we need to look for, and asteroids, minor planets, depending on how you want to describe them sort of thing. I mean, uh, there's, there's over a million of them now. <laughs> In the, in the night sky, but the vast majority, of course, you can't see with an amateur instrument or binoculars. But we get a chance because Pallas, uh, which was the second asteroid to actually be discovered, uh, is actually at opposition on the 11th of September. And so we actually see it in Pisces. It's, it's below the circlet. It's an asterism called the circlet sort of thing, which is on the right-hand side of the fishes, Pisces, the fishes, and it's below the square of Pegasus. So Pallas comes to opposition. So therefore, it means it's visible all night. Now, it's not too far from Neptune. So we'll come to that in a short while, because it means if Pallas is at opposition, it's reasonably close to Neptune. It means Neptune will soon be at opposition as well. But Pallas first sort of thing. So if you, you've never seen uh, an asteroid or a minor planet, then binoculars will get it. It's magnitude 8.5. So it's you know, well within the reach of ordinary 10 by 50 binoculars sort of thing. And it is slowly moving away from the circlet down towards sort of the Aquarius. So it's worth trying to get this sort of thing now while you can, because after this, it starts to fade. You know, opposition is always the time when these things are at their brightest. So magnitude 8.5, easy binoculars sort of thing. But after this, it'll start to fade. And within about a month or so, it's down to magnitude 8.9. So getting fainter. Mm. So, you know, it's worth grabbing now. Now, as it happens, sort of thing, the next day, and we switch to the morning sky again, because the thing about Pallas being opposition, by the way, is that it's visible. Once you reach opposition, you're opposite the sun in the sky. It rises as the sun sets and sets as the sun rises. In other words, it's visible all night, you know. So pick your moment to observe. But after this, it's interesting that Pallas moves into the evening sky. It's just a shame that it starts to fade, sort of thing. This is one of the asteroids that actually fades quite well really unfortunately so uh, mm. rabbit around opposition time is the best time but the next morning sort of thing so again you might want to stay up <laughs> grab grab palace well that's the 11th sort of thing on the 12th we're now actually looking towards the early morning sky and we've got taurus back i mean you know i i can't wait to when i see taurus in the morning sky because i know ah winter's on the way sort of thing so uh, i'm i'm really cheerful to my friends aren't i really sort of thing you know when you consider i'm always hankering for the winter sky but the point about this is that we've got the higher diesel which has its bright star alderan or Aldebaran, depending on how you want to pronounce it, sort of thing. But the thing about it, that is the bright red eye of the bull, although it's an orange star. I always think that's quite funny, but it does look ready orange, doesn't it? The thing about this is that Ceres 
Now, that was the first of the asteroids to be found sort of thing, but is now classified as a dwarf planet. Well, Ceres, mm. since about mid-August, has actually been gradually moving quite close, but under the Hyades star cluster. And on the 12th, you could say 11th, 12th sort of thing, it's actually below Aldebaran. So uh, in Taurus. So again, this is a similar magnitude as it happens, 8.6 at this particular point, because it's not reached opposition. It'll be a few months yet before Ceres reaches opposition and brightens up, because Ceres can get quite bright. So you can get two minor worlds in one night. You could get Pallas at opposition and then stay up until the early hours and grab it. Uh, Ceres in Hyades or below the Hyades, it will eventually during sort of like October, November, actually pass through the Hyades as well. So it's staying in this general area. So it's a nice, easy patch of sky to recognise. So with binoculars, mm. you should be able to pick out night after night. One dot of light is moving compared with the other. And again, you're getting the clockwork motion of the solar system on display, aren't you? Mm. Now we're still with the 12th because that evening, I say you, it's a busy month. We've got a lot going on, sort of thing. You know? I know, I was going to say. <laughs> we've got two which, things in one night. I know, it's exciting, isn't it, sort of thing. So, you know, we've got Jupiter. Now, Jupiter and Saturn are much easier to see now in the evening sky. They've, they've moved into the evening sky since their opposition uh, last month. Uh, in August. Uh, Saturn's opposition on August the 2nd and then Jupiter on August the 20th. So Jupiter is gradually retrograding and that means effectively for the lapis he's moving from left to right sort of thing you know because uh, we like to use prograde and retrograde for us astronomers. Well, that, that doesn't mean a lot to the general public so left, left to right is easy isn't it? <laughs> It's going the opposite direction that it does most of the time. Exactly sort of thing. So that's why it's retrograde rather than prograde. Mm -hmm. But uh, as it does so, on the 12th, again, it's actually directly above, and several degrees away, but directly above Delta Capricorni. So, you know, it's a bright star, Delta and Gamma, actually, and I always find sort of thing, as it moves on, when we get to the 20th, it's actually directly below the star 45 Capricorni, and it's gradually heading towards the end of the month, forming a triangle with Delta and Gamma Capricorni. So this is a mm. nice pattern anyway, but it, it, it's always great when it's uh, reasonably close to another star as well. So uh, that's the evenings for Jupiter, uh, lying above Delta Capricorni on the 12th, and then on the 20th, when, uh, you know, it'll be a lot better place to see because it's amazing each passing day, or just like evening sort of thing, it's amazing how much the sky is moving and creeping. That area is creeping into a better position to observe in the evening sky. So we have a bit of a gap, two days. Good grief, <laughs> gosh. My now, goodness. So we jumped to September the 14th, and we mentioned now that Neptune was at opposition, or will be at opposition. September the 14th is actually at opposition. But uh, first things first, it's very hard in the evening sky, but Mercury's also at its greatest eastern elongation from the sun. The only problem with this is in very, very bright sun uh, twilight, and it's setting just 20 minutes after the sun. So I'm mm. always a bit nervous about observing the Mercury so close to the sun like this. But as long as you let the actual sun set, literally look towards the, again, sort of roughly the west, southwest, that general area, um, look for it sort of thing. But make sure the sun has set whatever you do. So you yes. might pick out Mercury, but it, it, it's very difficult. This is not a very good apparition for it this particular time in the evening. As 
as always, uh, if you are thinking about trying to do any kind of astronomy close to the sun, never look at the sun directly, especially don't look at the sun directly through optics like telescopes or binoculars. You can do yourself a lot of damage. So as Paul said, make sure the sun has really set before you start looking for Mercury. I mean, we want to keep observing, don't we? We don't. We do not yeah. want to lose our eyesight, sort of thing. You know, mm -hmm. that's always my perennial, my worry. Ever since I became an astronomer, is you worry about your eyesight. I have to say, so uh, yes, protect it as much as you possibly can. So that's Mercury, really difficult. But as I say September the fourteenth is also Neptune's opposition night, so it now becomes visible all night and it's magnitude 7.8 sort of thing so uh, easily visible in binoculars sort of thing so easy to see it's interesting because it's actually passing through from september the first um it's actually passing through a, a, a sort of like a diamond shape of stars they're all got they're called hipparchus numbers sort of thing you know so i won't go in but there's a nice diamond shape of stars that are sort of similar brightness and slightly brighter so i always like to look for patterns. we love patterns don't we we've got constellations they just join the mm. dots but we have a habit as as amateur astronomers sort of thing of joining the dots on smaller and smaller scales because we are we we find patterns easier to recognize and if we can recognize a pattern we can find things in them so in this case there's a, this nice diamond pattern that neptune is passing through at the end of the month it passes quite close to hipparchus 11 59 53 so you know worth looking at it's around the 22nd to the 24th but neptune will be at opposition so it's visible all night so again you've got another one and it's so close if you think so it's only three days after palace that's why i said when palace was at opposition on the 11th it meant as neptune was nearby it had to be at opposition within a few days sort of thing so any objects within the same sort of like right ascension uh, line they will reach opposition within a few days of each other so there we are so opposition for neptune neptune it's it's it is officially the last planet course of the solar system um, so, uh, you know, ah, poor Pluto, but let's not get into that debate. <laughs> but, uh, mm -hmm. but the thing is, I do find it looks bluish. Now, I do find it's better with a small telescope to look blue. Binoculars, it's just a dot. But, uh, you know, but again, if you watch it with binoculars, you can see it moving slowly night after night. So you get an idea which object actually it is. And that's why I say on the 22nd to 24th, when it passes that Hipparchus star, you know, you've got a, something that you can see it slowly edging past. So that's always a good clue. But, uh, you know, it may be the last planet. But if you get a chance to put a telescope, if you've got a telescope, you know, reasonably medium size, six inch onward sort of thing, have a look. You might pick out Neptune's moon Triton as well. It, it is a yeah. challenge. It's magnitude 13 and a half. But, you know, it's, it's not an impossibility. So, uh, you know, it might be another object you can tick off your box. You know, your little list. I've got a list. It's getting a big list now, in actual fact. Yeah. <laughs> but you keep ticking these things off sort of thing that are objects in the solar system. So we jump another couple of days, and this is a period of the 16th to the 18th. And we're back to our, we, we often have talked about the moon passing the planets. And it's been nice not to have the moon mentioned, because it seems like some months it's only the moon doing anything. But we are back to the moon now. And so on the 16th, the moon is to the lower right of Saturn. Now, if you don't know where Saturn is and you don't know which object is Saturn. It is actually, it and Jupiter are the brightest objects in Capricornus. So in theory, you shouldn't be able to mix it up. So when you get the moon there on the 16th, the moon is to the lower right of Saturn. So when you look 
at that area of sky. You'll see the moon, you'll see a bright star to its upper left, and any fainter stars are the constellation itself. So Saturn should then be quite obvious. The moon mm-hmm. then passes below. It's, 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 it tilt of the, its orbit means that at the moment it's passing quite low, uh, below the actual ecliptic. And so as it happens, it forms a triangle on the next night sort of thing, a low, a, a po- the apex pointing down uh, between Jupiter and Saturn. So they form and, the other corners sort of thing of the triangle. So the moon's and on the, the 17th. 17th. Yeah, it's the 17th, yeah. And then uh, on the 18th, then the moon is to the lower left of Jupiter. So you've got this sequence of three nights where the moon passes and it guides you to these planets and, of course, to the constellation of Capricornus as well. So as I say, there's a, a lot going on. But uh, we haven't finished quite with the moon because I always like it when it passes deep sky objects and guides us. And we're back to Taurus, but we are in the morning sky again. And I've suggested three to four, well, anywhere from midnight to 4 a.m. for this on the 26th and 27th. And the moon will be directly below the Pleiades, the seven sisters. Now, admittedly, the moonlight will wash out the Pleiades. You'll, you'll see a faint sparkling of stars. So it's not as easy. Um, but it will actually be there. And again, if you use binoculars, you can sweep up from the moon and you'll be able to sweep up the cluster. And I tell you, it's, it's quite exciting. It's, it gives you a bit of a thrill when you start off on the moon sort of thing and you're wandering around. And then suddenly you come across this cluster of stars that's just suspended in space. And so mm. use the moon to guide you to the Pleiades because I say they won't be as easy with the moonlight, but in binoculars, you'll be able to find them. And of course, in binoculars, even with moonlight, you should get around about 15 to 20. Uh, in Temper 50 binoculars or thing, there's quite a few bright stars. Everybody think of them as seven sisters, um, but there's actually 250 cluster members at least. Now, I'm not expecting you to see that in binoculars, but... Uh, I that's, a, that's a bit of a big family <laughs> reunion. <laughs> it, is, it is a good family reunion, isn't it? So I, think, uh, I, 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 I can't imagine that many sisters. Uh, I don't know. We won't go there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I say in binoculars, you should get around about 15, perhaps 20, um, and you, you will get more on a dark night once the moon's out of the way. But it does mean the moon is actually passing through Taurus. And it's interesting because, uh, again, it doesn't occult it, but on the next night, on the 27th, I say in the morning sky, it's actually quite close to Tau Tauri. And I always think that is one of those tongue twisters, the one to say Tau Tauri sort of thing, because it's, you know, you've got Tau, which almost sounds like it's beginning the first three letters of Taurus, itself so uh, tau tori is there and uh, the moon will be quite close to it so if you've never seen tau tori sort of thing or not realize which one it is the moon guides you on the 27th you can't miss it because it's the bright star next to the moon itself so uh, there is a lot going on we've covered the Mm. main things um so uh, you know uh, is there anything you wanted to mention ezzy (laughs) <laughs> I think you have definitely given us enough to be going on with as it is. Uh, it sounds like it's a pretty good month for for planets, both minor and major, as well as a couple of other interesting star events going on as well. So there we have it. That's our recommendations for the month. Thanks very much for joining us today, Paul. It's a pleasure, Izzy, and I hope everybody gets a chance to have some clear skies to observe. If you want to find out even more about the spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky this month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything that's worth looking up for in September 2021. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered. 
with detailed star charts to help you find your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky Night Magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Brittany Collie. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 